WNBC. It's raining Jimbo's from out in the sky. Jimbo's, no need to ask why. Just open your wallet and close your eyes. It's raining Jimbo's. It's raining Jimbo's. Welcome back to another episode of We've Never Been Clicked. I am joined once again by my co-host, Jay Arnold, who uh, agreed to appear one more time at least. And and Jay actually broke some interesting news on Twitter this week, which Jay, I'm going to kick it over to you to talk a little bit more about your new opportunity and how this one episode of We've Never Been Clicked led to the opportunity. <laughs> yeah, uh, so we've got a new site coming up. Uh, it's called The Other 98. Uh, we're going to be bringing hard-hitting Texas A&M football analysis along with uh, recruiting analysis. And we're going to try to have a lot of fun with it, uh, mix in some humor as well. Uh, we're really looking forward uh, to seeing what we can accomplish. And uh, the site will, should officially launch August 1st uh, is the tentative date set right now. So hopefully we'll have it out there in time for fall camp. Awesome. And if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, the goals for your new site are to take down Good Bull Hunting first and Dallas Morning News second. Is that right? In that order. That's correct. <laughs> and speaking of Dallas Morning News, which is every Aggie's favorite publication, obviously, we are very honored to welcome Ben Baby, or maybe Ben's honored to be on the podcast as our first repeat guest. So Ben just got back from SEC Media Days. Welcome to the show, Ben. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, I'm very honored to, to be on the, uh, the podcast here. It's good to be back. So we're recording this on a Thursday night, and SEC Media Days just ended. When? How long have you actually been back in town? Uh, let's see. I think uh, probably about two-ish hours. I okay. Say. All right. Nice. So uh, this this will be your uh, this will be a refreshing activity for you, and you'll feel like you're you're right back into <laughs> things. <laughs> the so did you go last year? Was this your second SEC Media Days? Sure. It's actually my third year, which kind of makes me feel a little old. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, my third year. So I, I don't know how I've survived this long. Uh, it's been three years yeah. already. Wow. It has so, been. It, time flies when you're having a lot of fun, which I have definitely had, thanks to Aggie Twitter. So, <laughs> <laughs> so the, the first time that you were on this show was, was over a year ago. I think it was, maybe it was even two summers ago. But uh, you told me that Aggie Twitter was treating you pretty well on that episode. How has that trajectory gone over the, the two or three years since then? Yeah. I want to say a lot of the people that were, were nice to me early on have either unfollowed me or muted me. So um, that's kind of worked out, but you know, overall, <laughs> you know, you know, it, I think it is, it is, it's what you expect with a big time beat. And um, you know, it, you know, that's why A&M is, 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 you know, an interesting school to cover. And that's why that, you know, we cover them. There's a lot of interest, you know, uh, in the Aggies and, you know, we're not going to always be positive, but you know, it's going to be, um, you know, unfortunately my first two years were the, the tail end of the Kevin someone era, uh, which was interesting at times. And in last year, which is relatively pretty boring. Um, so we'll see how it goes this year with Jimbo Fisher. I think, um, it's going to be interesting to see, um, you know, how the program, uh, shapes up under him. And, and you, but you can definitely see that fans are excited again. Uh, now, because last year you knew Kevin someone was going to get fired. And so you're just kind of waiting for the shoe to drop. And now you've got a guy um, who really, frankly, nobody thought they were going to get. Um, and we'll see if, if this big experiment pays off. Nice. How, how is Jimbo with the media? So is he more accessible than Sumlin or are you, are you still getting a feel for that? 
Yeah, I wouldn't go that far too. I wouldn't go that far yet. Um, we'll see how he goes. Um, I think we'll we'll wait and see uh, once fall camp starts. I think that's probably the, the the most I should say at this moment. So I pulled some clips from the various media days that happened this week. I feel like I I have to jump right into some Tom Herman clips that I pulled, and then we can uh, we can kind of react to these things that obviously we've we've already heard them or, or read about them, but. The, f- the first one is is a little bit less talked about where Herman did discuss the renewal of the rivalry uh, in not a roundabout way, but he didn't he didn't name A&M, which is which is part of the, um, the the bitterness that we experience. We can't actually acknowledge the other school by name. But let me let me play this clip from from Tom. When Texas A&M, this is something a lot of people don't realize, too, when Texas A&M decided to leave. Uh, the University of Texas does not play a rival at home ever, right? Our only now true historic rival is Oklahoma. We play them in Dallas at the State Fair. Oklahoma, they play Oklahoma State home at right. home every right. year. You know, Iowa or Iowa State plays Iowa home at home every year. Kansas State plays Kansas home at home every year. The list goes on and on, and even in other conferences, they play home at home. The University of Texas, we don't, we don't, we don't play a rival at home, and so. In my perfect world, in in my perfect world, you would play one, you know, big time power five opponent, which to me, there's there's a very logical one an hour and a half (laughs) east of us. Right. And then you play two non power five opponents and and the call has been sent. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So so what's your reaction to uh, to Tom's call for the rivalry? Um, You know, honestly, he's he's dead on the money. Um, and you know, if you, if you, uh, if you go and if you play the rest of that clip, um, he goes on to say like, you know, Florida, Florida state, Clemson, South Carolina, um, you know, all these schools find, you know, various schools find a way to play their out of non-conference in-state rivals. Um, and this, so in this case for Texas, that'd be A&M, you know, and he's like, why can't we do it? That's a great question. Why can't, why can't they do it? I, you know, I think it's very obvious. One of the schools is either ducking the other or, or both just don't, you know, they don't have an interest, but I really think it's the first one. I think that, you know, one of the schools doesn't want to get involved or, 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 or otherwise this, this thing would have been wrapped up, but I'm not really sure which one it's going to be, you know, with, although it seems like every summer, some, some one side says they really want to play the game and, but they're like, you know, we're just going to have to see how it goes with the scheduling. And, you know, I'm just, I'm just very skeptical of all of that. And, you know, I think A&M fans are still very much in the camp of, oh, we don't need to play them. We don't need them. You know, they're just looking to use us to, you know, get relevant again or, or yada, yada, yada. Uh, but on the flip side, I think AM fans got to realize they don't have a rival in the SEC. Uh, they just don't. And, you know, and you can, and you feel that void on the calendar. You know, the Arkansas game at AT&T, you know, it's pretty boring. You know, the LSU game, it's nice, but it's just, it's not Texas. It's just not. And, and you know, I think you, you really, your, your schedule has a huge void when you don't have that marquee matchup to, to circle on the calendar every year. And, and like last year would have been a perfect example. You know, last year you really had nothing to get excited about. But if you had Texas on the calendar, you'd at least have one game to get really interested in. And if you won that game, that would have been, you know, you know, that would at least make you feel great going into the offseason, you know, to have bragging rights over Texas, you know. And, and that's what's this, this whole rivalry is so frustrating because each side wants to have bragging rights over the other, but they don't want to play. That makes no sense. Just go, just <laughs> go play the game, you know. Go make some money. Like put it at a neutral site and go make a lot of money. And, and then you have and have the game back and, and go from there. You know, it's just it's it, it's kind of it's kind of baffling that it hasn't been done yet. But, you know, I think at, at some point, like they have to they'll have to restart it. It's just a matter of time. 
Yeah, I completely agree with what Ben said. Uh, I know from a player standpoint, we always wanted to have that game. Uh, we wanted to go as far as just play it at the end of the season as an exhibition game. Don't even worry about what it means. Uh, we we wanted to just go out there and compete. That rivalry just meant so much to kids in Texas growing up and coming up to the days. And it, it just makes no sense to not have it anymore. And, you know, a neutral site game would be something I'd settle for, but I'd much rather have it home and home like Tom Herman said. Yeah, I'm, Ben, Ben, you've put me in a bad situation. I'm also going to have to agree with Tom Herman that, <laughs> that I'd rather have a, have a home and home. But, uh, but I, I do think we're, maybe we're at a point in time where we're closer than we've ever been because both sides are, are speaking more favorably about playing the game. You know, now there's been so much time from the breakup. It's, it's that you, you can kind of, you know, you can kind of go talk to your ex and, and say nice things about them. You know, after a nasty breakup, you know, I mean, it's exactly what it was, just a really nasty breakup, and it's just taken a lot of years for there to be healing. And, you know, I think both sides will be able to, to kind of mend those fences, and, you know, you're slowly getting there. But, you know, I'm not – I have a feeling A&M and, and Texas, they'll find, they'll find a place on the calendar in the middle of the 2020s, um, buy out one of these deals, and, you know, and I think it, just, it would make a ton of sense uh, for them to do that. I think once – once Texas A&M wins a couple national championships under Jimbo Fisher, that the bitterness will uh, will subside and and cooler heads will prevail. Yeah, once we get a few years on that empty plaque, right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> oh goodness, I, I of course I pulled the other Tom Herman clip too, which I think you know which one I'm going to play. Um, but but I have to play it because it was it was so beautiful from uh you know this this rivalry that has no football behind it. We just look for any, anything that, that we can use to poke the other fan base. And Tom Herman just provided a lot of uh, delicious things at, at big 12 media days with, with this being the most remarkable. Hey Tom, Kirk Bowles from the Austin American. Uh, Oklahoma had four all Americans last year and came within an overtime of getting to the championship game. You had one all American, a punter who's gone. How many elite players do you, feel like you have on this roster that can be difference makers and win championships? Some. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I don't know. I, you kind of put me on the spot there. I haven't, I haven't tallied up difference makers and championship level guys. And Wow, it's even worse on a podcast format. <laughs> yeah, with no with no video, that sounds terrible. <laughs> it's ten seconds. I was cringing as you played that clip. I was like, "This is worth." And yeah, I've seen that clip. You know, I've seen somebody on Twitter added some some interesting music behind it. I'm not sure which account it was. Um, you know, but but in the absence of you know of the music and in the raw audio, you're just like, "Man, this is insane." I was just gonna say that's almost as bad as the Borat pause. When he's trying to tell the not joke, <laughs> and I, I, uh, I was trying. To, I, I obviously watched it like twenty times because I was trying to edit other things into it. And I was thinking, like, there must be more to the story where, uh, you know, Tom Herman and Kirk Bowles had had discussed what he was going to ask beforehand, and then he asked something different or something because it was a really easy question from a local beat writer, and it just seems crazy that. It, it took him 10 seconds and then he got pissed off that he asked it. Uh, yeah, it was just a really weird moment. Spot. 
<laughs> oh, Tom, Tom Herman, Tom Herman upset with the local media. That's, that's a novel concept. I've, I've never heard anything like that before. Um, uh, but no, yeah, no, it's funny. First shout out to Kurt Bowles, the goat. Um, you know, he's the, the most iconic, you know, sports writer that we have in the state or the longest tenured guys, nothing but respect for Kirk, who's a, who's a really nice dude. Uh, also knows the Marriott game, like the back of his hand. He's a pro's pro. Um, you know, it, that was a, we were, you know, we were talking about that, um, you know, at SEC media days. Because, yeah, Tom, you know, it not, wasn't necessarily a softball, but, you know, it was a valid question. You know, Texas is having a lot of problems with Oklahoma. Oklahoma's doing really well in recruiting. And, and you know, it's, you know, he could have just said, you know, I'm not sure who, how many difference makers we have at the moment, but we've got a lot of guys, um, you know, that we, we just recruited. That would have been a perfect time. We just recruited the number two class in the country last year. Uh, we think things are trending in the right direction. You know, he could have continued to throw Charlie Strong under the bus, said, you know, I didn't really have a whole lot of, pe- you know, pieces on the, you know, we, we had to kind of do a little bit of rebuilding, something like that. Literally anything would have been better than just sitting there and going through the imaginary too deep. Um, you know, <laughs> you know, it's just... <laughs> And I don't know. And also somebody else was like, how would you say you got put on the spot when you're at media days? It's not like right. you got some out, like, like out of left field question about like, like an SEC perfect example was like, I was, so I actually wasn't in the main media room. I was in the internet room uh, for at media days. And there was this guy who was kept asking coaches what their dream car was when they were 16. I have no idea what it's like. That's a question that you go, you kind of put me on the spot. Um, a football question about how many playmakers you have on your team. That is not something you should feel like you're on the spot. Um, but I think that honestly, I think that says a lot about Tom and, you know, his, you know, his view of the media and kind of things. I, I think he's got a lot of, um, you know, and I've, I've said this since he got hired, you know, I think he's got a lot of work that he's got to do in that regard. And, you know, I think there's just some, there's just some things that he's got to work out. Otherwise he's not going to be at Texas for very long. Yeah. The, uh, and they had some other issues obviously I'm, I'm following the Longhorns exclusively on Twitter right now, but they had some other issues with, uh, who was it? Deshaun Elliott. Is that who it was who on? Yes. Yeah. No, Tom Herman took a lot of L's this week. Like it, it was bad between, between the Kirk answer, Drew Locke roasting him and then Deshaun Elliott and Connor Williams kind of tagging in a little bit. Um, yeah, this was not a good week for Tom Herman when it's all, the only goal in media days week is really just to have a good, good favorable <laughs> image going into this is going into the season. So, and those those players were kind of griping that that they had been bad mouthed by Texas coaches, I guess, uh, for leaving early or or something along those lines. So anyway, it's all good Aggie Twitter fodder, which which I hap, hap, happily pile onto. The SEC media days. Ben uh, Jay was very clear last week that he had no interest in SEC media days. So we're dying to know if there if anything interesting happened. Uh. Oh, that's a good question. I'm going to go ahead and say no. <laughs> uh, no, all the writers are like, this is a, this is really boring. And it's just like, to me, if we're being honest, like I like, I like all the people in the SEC office, Greg Sankey, you know, Chuck Dunlap, Herb Benson, you know, on and on and on I could go. Uh, but, but media days is just brutal. Like I, the, like I was really bummed. I missed out on big 12 media days because big 12 media days, is a lot of fun. Uh, you've got some colorful coaches in there. Like Dan, uh, Mike Gundy was rocking a mullet last year and the punter was, you know, like the Oklahoma state punter had this like Heisman campaign and you know, it's, it's, it's entertaining. Like there's actually more colorful people in the big 12 than in the SEC. Like you just got a bunch of saving clones. Like I was making fun of Jeremy Pruitt, the new Tennessee coach the whole time. We're just, you know, for, and everyone's like, Oh, this was actually Pruitt being good. So, like, Oh God, I feel sorry <laughs> for you guys. You know, that sounds brutal, but no, 
I mean, that's that's kind of the, like one of the problems with the SEC right now is that it's just a really bland league. Um, there's just not a lot of personalities, and I, you know, Saban has a lot to do with that. The other thing is, all the coaches are terrified they're going to get fired because they keep losing to Saban, um, and their fan bases are insane. And so, um, you know, I think there's a lot that goes into that. But, but yeah, it's, it was just a really boring event. Like nobody brought their quarterbacks for the most part. Like Jared Stidham was interesting. Drew Locke was cool. Um, I really like Joe Moorhead out of Mississippi State. Really smart guy. You can tell that he's he's got a higher IQ than just about everybody in the SEC. Um, so he's going to really have to. Dumb, I'm, I'm going to have to roast definitely more than the fans. <laughs> yes, I was going to say he's going to really have to dumb it down for the folks out there. Um, so no, no, no offense, Mississippi State folks, but the numbers don't lie. Um, well, you well know, Tom Herman's in uh, Herman's in Mensa, so maybe IQ is not the best qualifier for, uh, for for head coaching. No, yeah, no, that's that is a very good point. Um, <laughs> however, I, Joe, Joe Moorhead seems like he's he's got it together, so I think sure. he's I think Mississippi State you know made, did a great hire there, but yeah, it was just. It was really boring, you know, not a whole lot of it. You know, when, when it's Nick Saban's just running the show and Alabama's just beating everybody down, there's really nothing incredibly interesting. And so, um, yeah. you know, we'll see what happens. Um, but but at the end of the day, it's still something to get us talking a little bit. And, you know, thankfully Drew Locke had, had some fun comments and he had some players who had some fun things to say. So uh, you got something out of it. The You know, I did, I did pick through – Jimbo's audio trying to find something interesting to talk about. I, there was one answer that he had to a question about the, the ACC and the SEC that I thought was a little bit provocative. So I'm going to play that for you right now. Uh, last year, you said at ACC Media Days that you thought that the ACC was the premier conference in college football. Has your perspective on that changed at all? No, I played in both conferences. I, th- I think I'm going to tell you this. I think the ACC's progression to where it has become in football is because of the SEC. From being in the South and having not just play against, but to recruit against and compete against daily in the way you have to operate your organization. Like I said, where I was at in Florida State, we were surrounded by Florida, by Georgia, by Alabama, by Auburn. That was the closest schools to us. And, and that's who our big recruiting battles occurred against. We had Clemson and Miami and all those things, but we were surrounded that way. And I think then we excelled, then Clemson's excelled, and Miami's taken off, NC State, I mean, Louisville. I mean, I, I think in the South in general, because you're so close, I think it's, it enhanced the ACC's ability to compete and rise its level of ball because of the, the recruiting competition. And then once you get better players, you play better. And I think the commitment to those universities as far as um, jobs and the money and the salaries. If you look in that league, they've grown immensely in the last five years, six years. And uh, I think, you know, the SEC's pressure to stay on top. And once somebody gets on top, like the SEC had the great run of national champions until we were able to break it at Florida State, I think, you know, that was our goal. We had to compete with the SEC. So I think that raised the level of play in the ACC. So some Clemson fan absolutely lost their mind over this answer and, and posted like a video rant. What, what's your reaction to, to Jimbo's answer there? Okay. I, now, having heard the full clip, and to be, to be honest, I hadn't heard the full answer. I'd read it. I never heard I still haven't heard the full audio from Jimbo. I know it's, it's not a good thing for a beat writer to say, but, um, you know, I, you know we, we, we do the heavy lifting when we need to. Um, you know, it's, it, in that context, I, I agree with what Jimbo said. Um, I know I had a take before the podcast started, um, but that in, in hearing that whole clip, I understand what he's saying and the fact that, um, you know, it is, he is right in the fact that the SEC recruits at a completely different level than the ACC. Um, and you're starting to see, you know, the ACC schools catch up in terms of coaching salary spending. 
Um, you know, one of Jimbo's big gripes was that he wanted, you know, more, more money invested in the program like they do in the SEC. Um, you know, make sure that recruiting is an emphasis. Um, you know, I, I see all of that, but on the flip side, there are reasons why the ACC has been a lot better. I think their offenses have, are, you know, kind of adapted and changed and guys are, are willing to air it out a little bit. And, you know, and, and kids want to go play at those kind of schools. You know, you look at, you know, the quarterbacks that they've, they've produced over the last few years. Um, you know, Deshaun Watson at Clemson was a really dynamic guy. You didn't have, you don't have those kind of quarterbacks that often in the SEC. Um, you know, uh, Mitch Trubisky. Um, I'm trying to think of who else you have here. You know, Jimbo, when he was at Florida State, was a quarterback guru, so they usually had a guy who could sling it around a little bit. You know, Jameis Winston, I don't know how I can forget Jameis. Um, but, you know, those are the kind of guys, you know, really when you look at it, you just didn't see a lot of good quarterbacks in the SEC. And, like, this year, um, you know, the comments was made often in media days that the quarterback play might be the best it's been in quite some time. And you look at how teams have adapted. Mizzou, you know, when they had Josh Heupel, um, you know, who was an old Big 12 guy, he was, uh, you know, the, the, the pace that they ran at was insane. And, you know, they ran a ton of plays, and that's why you get a quarterback like Drew Locke, you know, Chip Lindsey um, at Auburn. You know, they got Jared Stidham over there, um, Tua Tagovailoa. I'm just going to say Tua because I'm not going to even try to butcher the last name. <laughs> there you go. And immediate days. Um, you know, I think a lot of those, um, you know, like Saban hiring Kiffin was a fact that, it was, it was a sign that he knew that he had to kind of change those offenses. And, and Jimbo's the same way. Jimbo was an SEC guy who played in the ACC, and that's why he went and got Daryl Dickey, you know, who was under Mike Novell at Memphis. He said, okay, I've got to – I can't run this same old pro-style stuff. I've got to be able to mix in these spread elements and, and, and throw it around a little bit because if you don't, you're not going to recruit those great skill kids that you need to go win because what's going to happen is, is yeah, you're going to win the, the SEC – but then you get into the playoff and you get smoked because you can't keep up with these teams. That's why Johnny and A&M were so good in 2012. You know, Jay, you were, you were there firsthand to kind of see all that. Um, you know, they just caught, they just took the SEC by a storm because they had they, no team was built like A&M at that time. Yeah. And people forget that the Missouri coming into the SEC East uh, from the start was also a pretty, pretty dominant team in that, uh, Correct. in that division. So yeah, you that's had, a great you point. Had, I, didn't, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, you're completely right. You had uh, two elite uh, Big 12-style offenses come in and kind of change the whole show for the SEC. Right, right. That's a great and point. Ben, and, Ben, your point about context I think is important because as I was pulling these clips, I was thinking, oh, that's not really as bad. Other than the Herman pause, pretty much every clip that I thought was going to be controversial. If I listened to the entirety of the clip, I was thinking, oh, this isn't nearly as bad as it looked on Twitter, um, including some clips from Larry Fedora, which weren't great. But, you know, if you listen to the complete interview, it's it's not nearly as bad as the, the one-liner that gets out there on social media. Well, that's the job of us in the media, right, is to make those headlines pop. <laughs> Ben specifically, yeah. I think. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, yeah, we, we it's our job to uh, produce the clickbait, uh, which is basically, <laughs> just, which is basically just anything people don't like. I think that's what clickbait <laughs> is. So, that's right. Now you have to the 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 sweet spot for clickbait is to have like one fan base that's really gonna like it, and then a bunch of other fan bases that are gonna hate it, and and that's that's how you have success in the media. Yeah, here's why Texas is going to be back in 2018 with that, and that's just it. So there you go. That's it. That's all you need to hear. That's all you need to hear. We can we can tag this podcast with that, and we're going to have 
a million listens. I could already tell. Uh, but a bunch of, you're going to get a bunch of hate clicks, just like, oh, this guy. <laughs> Thank you for the that – was, that was your first look at the Sunday DMN sports uh, oh, man, front page. I, I just – <laughs> I didn't even see. The, I didn't even see the trap coming. Y'all laid it beautifully. Yeah. <laughs> the, the I do have you. You mentioned Jarrett Stidham, so I did pull the clip where he talks about uh, his recruitment at A and M, which ruffled some feathers, or I don't know, maybe people just like to pile on someone uh, now that he's gone. But I want I want to play that clip. It's about forty five second clip. Here we go. Um, honestly, Coach Sumlin, uh, he didn't recruit, recruit me too hard. Um, I probably tried to recruit myself to A&M a little bit harder um, just because, you know, it was in-state. It was right down the road from where I was, um, you know, there in Waco. So, uh, you know, and I had, I had some family go to A&M before. Um, so, I mean, you know, ideally A&M was a close spot. You know, I could see my family kind of whenever I wanted. Um, in that, in that kind of thing, but you know, at the end of the day, I honestly kind of knew from the get-go that I was probably going to end up at Auburn. Um, you know, regardless of going through the recruiting process again or not, I kind of, I think I kind of knew that Auburn was the spot for me, and and sure enough, it worked out. So, so people got mad all over again hearing this, even though I I don't think it was anything terribly new, other than hearing it directly from Jarrett's mouth. What what did you think of the the comments here? Yeah, so so the backstory behind that was um, let's let's you know go back roughly 24 hours. I get my butt whipped at, at darts, uh, you know, throughout the evening last night. I go to bed very late, angry and disappointed that I took a bunch of L's. Uh, wake up, Jarrett said it was a nine o'clock deal, and I I'm like half awake. And luckily, you know, I, I think I missed like the first five minutes, but I was able to to get a question in, and I was able to ask him about the A&M recruitment because yeah, I think that's something that because I'm the one who asked that question in that room. Uh, right there. And, you know, like you said, it wasn't something new at all. It was, um, it was something that we kind of knew, um, cause he did a podcast with, uh, Damon Sales, who is at Kickham 247 now. And Damon's a great reporter. And, you know, he's a guy who's been in the game for a while. And, you know, he told, he told Damon, he's like, yeah, I don't really know what happened. Like, I've just stopped hearing from A&M. And it kind of gave off the impression that he was, he's not really sure why, um, mm-hmm. they had backed off. And you kind of got that understanding, um, that that was the case. Um, and yeah, A&M, you could tell, you know, the fact that, you know, you know, the big, the new thing was that Mazzoni was talking to him about bringing him on. And so it sounded like they were just kind of testing the waters and seeing how it would go. Um, you know, and, and yeah, I think a lot of I, the, the thing that was really weird was seeing everybody pile on Kevin Sumlin. Because if I recall, there were a bunch of takes last year, and I'm not going to throw any outlets out there, but you can go find them if you want, about how, you know, Kevin Sumlin made the right call and, and passing on Jarrett Stidham. And to be honest, I, you know, he did. I mean, it wasn't a, it wasn't a bad decision at all because if you're Kevin, you know, the worst case scenario, you, you're a guy who's known for mismanaging quarterback situations, multi, you know, you know, and then also having your assistants tweet when you lose a commitment, you know, it's just, you know, you, you, you and quarterbacks are not, not good. So the last thing that you want is for you to be recruiting Jarrett Stidham and then Kellen Mond is like, ah, they're going to go get Stidham. Let's decommit. And so then you lose Mond, and then Sidham's like, ah, yeah, I don't really know if I want to go there anymore. And then he doesn't come either. And then you're screwed. You have Kyler Murray, Kyle Allen all over again. And then it just becomes a disaster. Um, and, you know, and Jared could have went pro after. So the thing is, is what happens, um, you know, the, the Kevin kind of put the program first in this case because 
there's a, you know, you went with the guy who had more years and the more likelihood of staying. I mean, Jarrett could have left after last year. And really, it sounded like had he not been given more freedom to, to do, you know, to go through and make audibles and check downs at the line of scrimmage, um, he was probably going to be gone. And he was going to try to go pro or transfer because he would have, he could have had two more years left as a grad transfer, um, theoretically. So, you know, I thought Kevin actually did something right, you know, when it came to quarterbacks at AM in that regard. And, you know, Auburn really, I think uh, Kellen Mond was either going to end up at Auburn or AM and then wherever and Stidham was going to, the same could be said for Stidham. I think they were both going to end up in the SEC West. It was just a matter of which school. And so whenever Mond was at AM, Stidham went to Auburn and, you know, it's the way it played out. Yeah, and there's uh, there were some other implications from other recruits at IMG Academy, not just last year, but kind of going forward. That I think made it made it a little bit trickier than it than it looks on its face for uh, recruiting Mond versus taking on Stedham. Yeah, I think uh, the people definitely want to have a good relationship with IMG. Uh, you have so many huge recruits coming out of there uh, and kind of helping with that pipeline. Uh, by bringing Kellen Mond on was a was a step in the right direction for someone, even though it didn't work out in the end. Yeah, yeah, and you never know if if they if they don't get Mond, do they get Osborne too? I mean, were they a package deal? I mean, that's right. you don't really know, and that's going to be hard to kind of figure out and get to the heart of the matter. Um, but you know, it's going to be a. But yeah, I think at the end of the day, I think people want to get mad at someone. Like there are plenty of things to get mad at someone about. I don't think this is one of them. But there's a there's another side to that coin. The, in in the most aggy internet fashion possible, some people are saying they're happy that Sumlin went with Mon because otherwise he might have won too many games and not gotten fired, and then we wouldn't have Jimbo Fisher. Oh, that is that is a great that is a great point though. That is a good point. <laughs> I, thought, I did I did think about that today. That is definitely something that could have happened. No, I think I think that if someone had anything less than nine wins last year. Uh, he was gone no matter what. And I, I don't think uh, getting Stidham would have made a difference. I, I think no, there's no way that A&M team last year is getting to nine wins. I, I don't know. I, I mean, that you say that um, you say that now, and I, I agree. I thought that they were going to be rebuilt, rebuilding regardless. But, you know, if you have a quarterback like Stidham, I mean, that guy can make, you know, he can hide a lot of your flaws. And I had an old assistant tell me, a guy who was on that former staff, and he was like, if Starker was healthy, you know, the whole year there, we might still be there. And so you just never know how, I mean, A&M did finish, you know, seven and five in the regular season is considered him get you two more games. I mean, who knows, but yeah, I, yeah, I, I think that the likelihood or Jay, what you said is right. And that, yeah, that they were probably not getting to nine and, and Scott Woodward knew from the, from the summer he wanted to fire Kevin. So. We would have, we would have found some other interesting way to lose games with, with Stedham at quarterback. The uh, so so let's we're we're a little bit over probably on time, but I've got to sneak in some Larry Fedora stuff because this is probably the biggest national story from any of the media days at ACC kickoff. Fedora made a couple of comments that are are getting him ripped in the media, and he's he's actually backtracked on them a little bit, I think, since then. But first, I want to play the Fedora clip on the the military and football. Uh, a few years back, I had an opportunity to ask a, a three-star general, you know, what uh, I had a question for him. I said, what, 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 is, it make, what is it that makes our country, our, our military superior to every, every other military in the, in the world? He, said, he was like, that's easy. We're the only football playing nation in the, in the world. You know, and he said, our, most of all of our troops, 
have grown up, have played the game at some point in their life, at some level. And the lessons that they learn from that game is what is what makes us who we are. How is it different than rugby? I, I don't know rugby, so I, I couldn't tell you that. I just know they don't wear a helmet, so. <laughs> the rugby part just cracks me up. I think it's, <laughs> it's the funniest follow-up I've ever heard. <laughs> I don't know. Do you even have a reaction? I just thought it was kind of interesting and, and everybody was talking about it. Uh, you know, it was funny. I thought I was just like, uh, you know, I thought it was just, I thought it was one of the dumbest things you could say. I was like, oh, coach, that's something stupid. Okay. That was like, that's fine. You know, coaches do that. You want to, you want to try to equate your military strength to how well you play football. I'm like, all right, that's, that's an interesting way to go about it. But who knows? Maybe some, some general who in a senile days thought that that was a, there was some correlation and, and so, and so, sure, why not? Go ahead. That was fun. I thought that was a hard, it was funny, but it wasn't, it wasn't a harmful comment at all. Yeah. I mean, it's just one of those typical coaching anecdotes that they always have. I do. I do also want to play one more clip from Fedora. I think this one was the more uh, controversial or maybe the more serious one. And there are people kind of taking both sides of this. So, Let's listen. It's about a 30 second clip. I'm not sure that anything is proven that football itself causes it. Now, we do know from what my understanding is that the blows to the repeated blows to the head cause it. So I'm assuming that every sport that you have, uh, football included, could be a problem with that, right? Uh, as long as uh, you've got any kind of contact, you could have that. That does not diminish the fact that the game is, is still safer than it's ever been in the history of the game. And of course, that was Larry Fedora of North Carolina talking about uh, CTE. And that was he said a lot of things about it, um, you know, up on the main podium in the sidebar to individual members of the press afterwards. He said some things about. Like, well, you can give me a data set and give somebody else a data set and, you know, we can come out with whatever we want to present. Um, and, and it just it, it created some uh, some backlash on Twitter and other people are saying, well, the science is kind of um, undecided. So he has a point, but maybe that wasn't the best way to express it. So what did you all think? You know, I, I, actually, I'm curious what Jay's got to say, because Jay's actually played the game. I, this is one of those times where the writer, I think, would be better off seeing someone who plays and kind of what that experience was like, because I've always imagined that I, like people don't really like the everyday person doesn't really know how painful football is at that kind of level unless you actually experience it, you know? Yeah, I, I mean, it's it's tough for me because football gave me uh, so many opportunities. Uh, it's a game I love. Uh, it's, it's a game I grew up with. Uh, it, I, it, it really has gotten me to this point in my life. I paid for my college. I, it's hard for me to talk negatively about the game, but it's just a fact of life that, uh, CTE is terrifying to me, uh, especially, you know, playing on defensive line, uh, the new research suggests that sub concussive blows are the real cause of CTE. Well, there's no place that you're going to have more subconcussive blows than playing in the trenches in football. I mean, you're basically taught to hit your head against somebody else's uh, pads every play. I mean, you're you're sticking your face in somebody's chest and using that to kind of play the game. And it's uh, knowing what I know now, it's it's kind of scary to look back on. Right, and, and I think that. I think that 
And that's the problem. I think Fedora, yeah, you could say, sure, I don't actually, you know, it's show me the proof that football is a direct link. And I think that's stupid to say, um, because, you know, you, of course, you know, you look at how many brains, the problem with CT right now is that it can only be diagnosed post-mortem. Um, so someone has to die before you can say it. And that's one of the big problems right now. And almost every brain that's been donated by a football player, um, a family who chooses to do so, they say this person has CTE. Um, you know, and I talked to, um, you know, the, the, the family of the, uh, of Tyler Holinsky, um, um, who the, the Washington State quarterback committed suicide, um, was later found to have, you know, symptoms of CTE in his brain. Uh, his younger brother was at the opening and is a quarterback. You know, and the family's kind of grappling with this too. And the dad was like, you know, it's, it's a, you know, we're, we're kind of trying to figure this out because the math, you know, all of these kids play, play football, especially college football, uh, but none of them kind of, you know, ended up doing what Tyler did. Uh, or Ryan did, excuse me. So, you know, it's, it's a very, um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a very interesting deal here. Um, um, Larry Fedora should have known better as a guy who, you know, and that's number one, you're going to have coaches now go use that against you when they're recruiting. Say this guy doesn't know what he's talking about when it comes to head injuries. Um, you know, he has one of the top research centers in the country on campus uh, when it comes to this. Like, how do you not know um, all of that stuff? You know, you've got to say, you know, you can say all of that, but you, you know, you say we're aware that, you know, this has become an issue. Um, and, and yeah, I, I see what Fedora is saying and that people are using CTE to say bad things about football and say, Oh, this is such a dangerous game. But guess what? It is a really dangerous game. Like, you know, I remember the, the Belk Bowl. I, I don't remember watching a game so physical and, you know, it was really kind of heartbreaking at times because, you know, I, you know, I saw Travion Williams get like, you know, just take a nasty hit. Um, you know, something a lot of AM fans just kind of forget about. Um, you know, there's kind of the brutality of that game was something I hadn't seen in quite some time. Um, that's kind of what I wrote about. Um, you know, and it's, it, it is a fan zone, you know, something, you know, it's um, when you watch it on TV, I don't think you really understand how physical and, and, and how much, of a, you know, how much of a toll the game takes on the people who play it. Um, you know, and Fedora's got to be more sensitive to that. You know, we have so much, you know, evidence and anecdotal evidence and, and, and just story after story after story that, that football players are now showing signs of CTE. Um, and you can say, yeah, it doesn't prove it or cause it, but you've got to be cognizant of the fact that there's probably something there. And, you know, we're trying to figure this out. And while we're trying to figure it out, uh, we're trying to make sure we're taking the, you know, the best care of our players. You know, this isn't the first time Larry Fedora said something stupid at media days too. Let's all keep this in context. You know, two years <laughs> ago, he, uh, yeah, he told, he some woman asked about, you know, it was some, it was a question about, um, a, a kid maturing and, and, and how he had, you know, grown as a person over the years. And he's like, honey, you're a woman. You wouldn't understand how a man develops between 17 and 22. And he was, she was like, well, I think I'm not the same person I was when I was 17. So I kind of know. Um, so yeah, right. the door is kind of Richard Moak. Yeah. <laughs> he, uh, <laughs> and he was kind of, I think his position on CTE, he was, he also had comments about, you know, if it becomes a game of touch football. So it, it was, just, it seemed like his motivation for, it, it wasn't like he was trying to find scientific truth. He was trying to kind of encourage the game to stay, you know, at its current level, which is safer than it's ever been, but not really, you know, take it any farther than that. In a, in a dream scenario, they develop a helmet that completely takes concussions out of play. And the game is... Still physical, but a completely safe game. But until then, I mean, there has to be measures taken and changes made that help protect the players, uh, not only from the consequences of the game, but from themselves, you know? 
Yeah, and it's interesting, Jay, because you uh, you mentioned uh, the what are they called sub sub concussive contact or yeah sub sub concussive blows to the head uh, have been shown to be a, a large part of uh, CTE as well. Or, so that's interesting because the not necessarily shown. I'm not gonna. I'm not. Uh, it's not scientifically proven necessarily, mm-hmm. but it's it's something that's being hinted at according to statistics. But most of the rule changes seem to protect skill players, right, and quarterbacks, and not you know the linemen. So if they're experiencing the most um, injury from playing the game, then yeah, maybe the I don't know. I don't even know what you would do with the rule changes other than trying to improve equipment. Yeah. You'd have to, you know, like Jay was talking about, you know, you're taught to, you know, use your head a little bit on the line. You got to start, you know, teaching better techniques on how to block and say, okay, this is what you need to do. So we can try to take the head, you know, further out of the game and, you know, targeting a lot of fans hate the targeting rule, but I think it's one of the best things they've ever did. Um, it keeps players from actually, you force them to actually go make the tackle um, and not go head hunt. Um, you know, um, shout out to Trayvon Fuller, um, you know, who's A&M's notorious head hunter. I think he's got thrown out of targeting like, you know, a couple of times. Um, you know, it, it teaches you to not go do that, you know, and, it, and if and if Mr. Fuller uh, has not, then uh, please uh, come find me on Twitter and yell at me because I deserve it um, as an aside. But, you know, and I think Fedora was talking about the kickoff situation, you know, like how that's bad for the sport, and, you know, and not to pick on Colin Glassby because I think he's a really good, good player. And, you know, I really like dealing with him. But, you know, go back and look at that that hit he had. Uh, I believe was it the Tennessee it might have if I think it was the Alabama game or Tennessee game in 2016. Um, Tennessee, I think, yeah, I think so. Where where a kid just got knocked out cold, um, you know, and you saw the, you know, it, it, it's just, it's just, it's just not good, you know. It's, it's just, it's just, it's like kickoffs just need to be out of the game for good. I wrote about it that week because A and M saw the other side of it, um, because if I'm not mistaken, I can't remember who it was, but they had a kid just get completely leveled, um, you know, in targeting, and then one week later, you know, it was the reverse, and he just goes, "There's no point in this," you know. You don't see enough kickoff returns to justify the amount of, you know, violence, because you've got a dude coming down the field so fast looking to obliterate somebody, and if he doesn't get get get, get wedged off or, or blocked at some point, just a dude running full speed at a guy who doesn't have that impact, he's going to get obliterated. And then we, we put those clips in our highlight reels until the end of time, so it's like there's a, a disconnect between, um, you know, the, the rules and the safety and what we celebrate as, as fans, and even as uh, teams and athletic departments. Yeah, uh, so... I'm going to go with a really abstract uh, comparison here, but uh, being the NASCAR fan that I am, uh, when NASCAR races at tracks like Talladega and Daytona, they put restrictor plates on the cars to slow down the cars to keep them from getting airborne and into the stands if an accident occurs. Now, that's completely changing the makeup of the race, but it's making it so much safer. And it's a similar concept to what football needs to do. Uh, does taking kickoffs out of the game completely change it? Yes, it does. But for the sake of the players and the, uh, the people watching at home, like it just makes it so much safer for the kids. I think it's worth it. I thought you were going to say that the players should wear saddlebags or something. Like, yeah, absolutely. Got to weigh, <laughs> weigh those kids down so they can't run so fast. <laughs> yeah, and the hit I was referencing, I was able to look it up real quick. I, I believe what I was looking at was um, Speedy Noyles' hit 
Uh, Mac Wilson from Alabama, I think, hit Speedy Noel, and that was kind of really bad. I think oh, that was yeah. the one I dropped. Yeah, yeah, and then I think you, that was the you one were one right one. on though with Colin. He hit he hit a kid from Tennessee, and it was nasty. I don't know if he got knocked out, right. but it was def- definitely a helmet to helmet. Yeah, because I'm. Yeah, I got yelled at on Twitter, but like nobody was like, "This isn't targeting." I'm like, "Dude, I had to go suffer through a SEC like every year at spring meetings. Like we have like an hour long session with the head of officiating, and for 30 minutes it was like, this is what targeting is,' and it was very mm-hmm. brutal. So I was like, you know, unfortunately, I know what targeting is, and I, I would like those if I could get those 30 minutes back and have a less of an understanding of it, then I would love it. But you know, it's the way it is. But yeah, you know, I, I think we can we'll find ways over the course of the game to make it safer. So. So guys, you know, like, you know, like Jay, who, you know, who play the game aren't suffering 20 years later, you know, they can go enjoy their life and not have to worry about all this stuff that happens. For sure. And well, hopefully this will get Aggie Twitter mad at you all over again um, in in calling that hit targeting. So I think, (laughs) (laughs) all right, well, I think that does it for episode two of season two of We've Never Been Clicked. Thank you, Ben, for joining us. You are, like I said, the first ever repeat guest, unless you count Jay, which Jay doesn't really count. Um, so, so thank That's you for what joining I like us. To hear. Well, we'll try. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're you're a host now, so it doesn't count as a repeat guest. But we, yeah. uh, Ben, we'll bring you back whenever we feel like Aggie Twitter is like itching to get angry at somebody. We will invite you back on during the season. Um, but thank thank you for being here right after you arrived back in Texas and. Uh, and sharing some of this information with us. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I don't want anyone to think that I'm out here trying to rile up Aggie Twitter. We do that. It's not something that I enjoy. Um, no, thanks for having me on. And, and uh, yeah, you know, it's been fun covering A&M the last couple of years. Um, you know, I'm interested to see what happens with Jimbo. Um, I, I, I don't, I will say, and this can be a tease for the next time I come on or whenever, you know, I don't share all the optimism that I think a lot of the A&M fans do. Uh, because of kind of how what happened towards the end of Florida State, and not not just last year, because I think he knew he was gone, um, you know. Because but I knew, but you know, you saw that, um, you know, Clemson kind of had kind of overtaken Florida State as a program, which is something you never would have thought of, you know, ten years ago, because it was Florida State and everybody else in the ACC, um, you know. But but I think it, it you know, it, there is a reason to be excited. I think he will be better than Kevin Sumlin in a lot of different ways, and. Um, it'll be entertaining to see how it goes one way or the other. You know, when you pay a guy $75 million, everybody's going to be watching. And, you know, after after last year, which was incredibly boring, you know, I'm, I'm all for a little fun excitement around the Aggies this year. <laughs> well, Jay and I have agreed to be all sunshine and rainbows until proven otherwise by, by Jimbo. There you go. There you go. I think y'all <laughs> there are some folks uh, at, a, at a company called Texag that so I might get along with. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Ben. And and thank you, Jay, for uh for joining. And we'll be we'll be following the launch of your new site, which was called The Other 98. Uh I do want to make sure that people don't get it confused with the far left wing conspiracy site. Uh we will be the <laughs> site that's covering Aggie football. And the far left wing conspiracy site is called goodbullhunting.com. All right. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, everybody. <laughs> Until next time. It's it's rain and Jimbo's. Rain and Jimbo's. Rain and Jimbo's. Yo, beat or miss, please. It's rain and Jimbo's.